Good morning. Welcome to church this morning. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter number 11. Mark chapter number 11. I'm so happy to see you today. I don't know why, but I'm just like extra, I'm extra excited to be with you all today and to worship the Lord together. And welcome to those of us, to those of you who are joining with us online this morning. Before we get into the message, Jesus is still king. I'm really excited about part two today. I want to talk to you for a moment about giving. Take his breath. Look over at your neighbor. Say, it's going to be okay. Let's talk about giving for a little bit. Um, First of all, I know that we all come from different, we all come from different church backgrounds, or you've probably been to church somewhere else before, and a lot of people wonder what giving is all about. I know that some people, they come to church and think uh, giving, uh, that's what the church is all about. Uh, The church is all about getting your money, and giving, first and foremost, is an act of worship. Uh, giving first and foremost is a response to our God. We understand that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, and it starts with the Lord Jesus Christ. And whenever we give, we are giving as an act of worship to God. But when we give that money, I want you to know that whenever you give to new life, uh, what we are giving for, what we are giving, we're giving to the Lord And we are giving for the mission of reaching people with the gospel of Jesus. So I wanted to put something in front of you this morning just as uh, for for those of you who are looking for ways to give. And I want you to know, and we're always going to be very transparent here at New Life about what you're giving, how you're giving is stewarded for the sake of the gospel. So the one thing that I would like to put in front of you for you to pray about, for you to consider giving towards is is the development of the back half of our building. So if you haven't walked through all of our building before, like come see me. I, like, I'm so thankful for what God has given us. We have a wonderful place to worship. And many of you know this, that this was a Capital One bank before. So we're, we are like in the middle of the process of changing it, transforming it into a church building. And one thing, and I love just, uh, obviously there's still some work that needs to happen in here, but something that I would like for us to give towards and something I would like for you to consider giving towards is giving towards the development of our kids' areas. Um, I believe that, that our kids receiving and understanding the gospel, receiving and understanding the word of God is of utmost importance. And if you've been back there, you see the, the space that they use right now is a beautiful space, but we do need to expand that a little bit. So we have lots of kids, and I believe that over time, God is going to give us more and more kids that are going to come in, and we need to make sure that we have a safe space uh, and that we have a space where they can learn about Jesus. Uh, so one of the things that we're wanting to do in addition to the space where they meet right now is we need to build a nursery. Uh, we need to build a nursery space for young kids because how many of you know that whenever you get six-year-olds and six-month-olds together, uh, problems can occur. Uh, so we have, God's bless us, God has given us through an outside gift, money towards um, nursery supplies. But one of the things that we need back here in the room that we're going to use for the nursery is we need flooring. Uh, so if you've been in this back half of the building, we don't really have any flooring down on the ground. So that's something that we need to, that we need to upgrade back here so that way we have a good, safe space for kids so they're not banging their heads on concrete and those kinds of things. Uh, So, but whenever we give to the Lord, that's who we give to, we give to the Lord. But I want you to understand that the money that we do give through New Life is used for reaching people with the gospel. And, And ultimately, I believe that our kids are, they are our future. And our kids need to have a place where they can learn and where they can grow and I'm giving towards that, and I would encourage you to pray about giving towards that. And of course, I'm not, I'm not twisting anybody's arm. If you, you give as the Lord puts something on your heart, and you give in an act of worship to him. All right? So 
Uh, so that is, see, that wasn't so bad. We talked about giving, and it was great. And we're going to reach people with the gospel through our giving. Let's turn to Mark chapter number 11. If you found your space there, Mark chapter 11 and verse number 12. We're picking up where we left off last week, and Jesus has just ridden into Jerusalem as king, as the promised king uh, that we found in the Old Testament last week. And then Jesus left and went back to uh, the Bethany area. And today, in verse number 12, it says, On the morrow... So the next day, on, and this is on Monday, when they were come from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer? But ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, for they feared him, because all the people was astonished at his doctrine. And when even was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into God's word and continue this series, Jesus is Still King. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you, and thank you for this time that we have to study your word. I thank you for for our church family who's gathered here together today and this opportunity that we have to worship together, to encourage each other, and now to gather around your word and to study it together. And Lord, I pray that we would uh, see exactly what you want us to see from your word this morning. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me, fill me with your spirit, Lord, I ask that you'd help me to say only what you once said this morning. And Lord, I pray that you'd be with every person who's here. I ask that you would give them exactly what they need today. Lord, I pray that as a result of this, uh, this message, Lord, I pray that, we would, uh, that you'd convict our hearts and that we would become more like the Lord Jesus. I pray that we would let down our guards to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives as a result of what we study and what we find. May we love Jesus more. May we love like him more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Whenever I was growing up, my family moved to Arkansas whenever I was about 10 years old. And when we moved to Arkansas, the church that we went to that my dad was a pastor of, in the backyard we had a persimmon tree. Now, how many of you are familiar with a persimmon with a persimmon tree? How many of you know what a persimmon is? All right, we got, we got a couple people. All right, Tim, I have up there on the screen, there we have some persimmons. I actually brought a persimmon. This looks a little bit different than these. The ones that we had growing up looked more like that. They were, they were tiny, they were little, they were small, but I actually brought a persimmon uh, with me this morning. And if you would like to eat it, uh, then just come see me after the service because I, I tried one last night and I'm not going to hold on to this after the service. But we love those persimmons and those little, those little persimmons, they were really sweet and they were juicy and we just, we loved them. And if they look like this, they were great. But what we found very quickly after we moved and we found this persimmon tree is that if the persimmons were green, you wanted to stay away from them. 
I remember the first time that I ate a green persimmon. Uh, I took a bite into it and all of the moisture just got like sucked out of my face. I felt like my lips were gonna turn inside out. They got so dry, it was so bitter, it was nasty. I was running for water and, and I, I can't remember how much water I drank, but it was just like however much water I drank, it wasn't enough to get the taste of the green persimmon out of my mouth. And me and my brother, Jason, we would have a lot of fun together uh, playing pranks on people, uh, particularly my sisters and my younger sisters. And we would get them persimmons and we'd say, hey, let's eat some persimmons together. And we would eat these, these orangish, pinkish, delicious, sweet, juicy persimmons. And then we would give them a green persimmon. And I remember giving it to my sisters and they took a bite and immediately, like if they had any tears, but all the moisture was sucked out. If they had any tears, the tears would be flowing and they were running for water. And it was just this big ordeal. And I'm sure we got in quite a bit of trouble for it later. But whenever I think about those persimmons, I think about those times where we would pick up some fruit and we would expect something that was really good. But whenever we bit into it, we were extremely disappointed. Uh, we would eat into something expecting something refreshing, expecting something that was going to be uh, that was going to be wonderful, and instead we got something that was bitter and dry and disappointing. Whenever I think about Tuesday coming up, two days from now is election day, and on election day people are going to vote for their candidate, and America is going to put its faith and trust in a person on Tuesday. And what we're going to find, regardless of who wins on Tuesday, is that people fail us. People let us down. And I know that, uh, I know that at times whenever I think about it too much, I get a little bit overwhelmed. I get a little bit anxious about what the results of Tuesday could bring. But today I'm encouraged by the word of God, because regardless of whoever's president, Jesus is still king. In Mark chapter 11, we saw last week that Jesus rode into Jerusalem as Israel's king, but Jesus left Jerusalem that day because instead of reigning on a throne in Israel at that time, he wanted to rule and reign in the throne of your heart. And Jesus was setting up more than just a kingdom in Israel that he will rule and reign on someday. Physically, Jesus was preparing a spiritual kingdom uh, that, that was going to be paid for with his blood. Today, as we continue in Mark chapter number 11, Jesus is getting ready to ride back into Jerusalem and he's ready to go back into Jerusalem. And when Jesus goes into Jerusalem, Jesus encounters, uh, or Jesus does some things that honestly, whenever I read it this week and when I studied it this week, I found it pretty strange. Uh, whenever I read what Jesus does this week, uh, I went home with some headaches because I was thinking, what in the world is going on? If you self-identify as a tree hugger, you're not gonna like, you're not gonna like what Jesus does in our text today. But Jesus does a couple things. First of all, we see that Jesus curses a tree. And then Jesus goes into Jerusalem and he starts flipping tables. Now, what in the world is up with that? And today what we're going to see, we're going to study what Jesus does. We're going to see what it means. And it, what we're going to find is something that is incredibly impactful for our lives. So let's study together. And today's a little bit different. It is a, it is a very difficult passage. So what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through what happens. I'm going to explain to you because there's, there's a pretty big cultural gap between 21st century America and what was going on at this day. We're going to explain what happens. And then at the end of the message, I'm going to give you three, three practical applications for our lives. Okay, so let's, let's start in verse number 12 together. It says on the morrow, when they were come from Bethany, who was hungry. And seeing a fig tree afar off having leaves, he came, if haply he might find anything thereon. And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. 
And Jesus answered and said unto it, no man eat fruit of thee hereafter forever. And his disciples heard it. Now, I find it so interesting. Jesus is walking to Jerusalem. This is, uh, this is like a two-mile a two walk from Bethany to Jerusalem. And the Bible tells us that he got hungry. And just as a side note, I find it very interesting and I find it very encouraging that Jesus gets hungry in our text. Don't you find it interesting? A lot of times whenever I read about Jesus in the Gospels, I think of him as he is. He is the Son of God. He is fully 100% the Son of God. But he was also 100% man. And we see that Jesus gets hungry, and we see in the Bible that Jesus gets tired, and Jesus experiences the same things, the same struggles that you and I experience. The Bible says that we have a high priest, that G Jesus knows what we're going through. We have a high priest uh, that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, or that has not been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Uh, he knows what we go through. He's experienced what we experience. He knows those struggles, and we see in our text that he gets hungry. And as he gets hungry, he sees this fig tree. Now, this area was full of fig trees. This, the Bethany was actually called the house of figs. So he sees this tree, and whenever he goes up to it, he's ready to eat some breakfast. But the Bible tells us, it's interesting here. Did you notice that it says that it, the time of figs was not yet? So it wasn't fig season. Jesus goes to this tree. It's not fig season, and there's no figs. So then he curses the tree. Now I thought, what in the world is up with that? Like, was Jesus having a bad day? Was it a bad day? Like, it, this is Monday, which how many of you can identify with Mondays being bad days? Uh, this is Monday as Jesus is going into Jerusalem. Maybe Jesus hadn't had his coffee yet. I know that I get very, I get very upset whenever I haven't had my coffee yet. Uh, I get, you know, I say things uh, I, to Adriana. I'm like, I hope you get the poopy diapers. Uh, those kinds of things. Is, is that what's going on with Jesus? Well, of course not. Jesus, Jesus has not and cannot sin. And Jesus comes to this fig tree and he curses this fig tree. So why would that be? Why would he curse this fig tree? Well, it's very interesting. I had to do some study on, on fig trees to help us understand it. And fig trees produce in stages, so fig trees, they'll produce like this little fruit. What I found is that they produce like this little fruit and then they will produce leaves. And after they produce leaves, then they produce like fully ripened figs. So in the first stage, it's edible, but it's not like the full final product yet. But there is fruit there at the beginning. And then there are leaves and then there's the fully ripened figs. Well, what we see in our text is even though it's not fig season, we see that Jesus finds a tree and it tells us that it is full of leaves. Whenever he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. So he finds this tree here. He finds this tree that, that from a distance, as he's walking up to it, this tree looks good. This tree looks full. This tree looks like it will have some fruit on it. But whenever he gets up to the tree that should be producing fruit, it's barren. This tree is barren. It has no fruit. It has the appearance of bearing fruit, but it's not bearing any fruit. And as I look at that, I think, why would Jesus curse this tree? What's going on with this tree? And, and by the way, I want to share with you some principles of, of biblical interpretation, because we could look at that. We could say, Jesus cursed this tree. Uh, what does it mean for me? And we can throw our own ideas onto the text, can't we? Uh, kind of like a couple of Thursdays ago when we were talking about Jesus writing in the sand and we were saying, hey, what was Jesus writing in the sand? And we could throw our own ideas at it, but we want to know what the Bible says. 
We don't, it doesn't really matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. So we're going to look at it. And how do we discern, how do we understand what the Bible is saying? Well, here's a key principle for you in your own personal Bible study. We have to understand context. We have to understand context. Whenever I read something that I'm, that's difficult to understand, I have to, I have to look at what else does the scripture say? When you're reading something, when you read a verse that you're having trouble to understand, you have to understand that it's part of a bigger portion of scripture. So here in our text, we see that Jesus curses this tree and a key phrase that it says in the text, the text is that the disciples heard it. So he was saying it for them to hear. And then we continue on and Jesus goes into Jerusalem. So in order for us to understand better what's going on with the fig tree, we need to see what happens next in Jerusalem. So it says in verse number 15, it says, they came to Jerusalem and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught saying unto them, it is, is it not written? My house shall be called of all nations, the house of prayer, but ye have made it, <coughs> ye have made it a den of thieves. So Jesus leaves this tree after he's cursed this tree. Then he goes to Jerusalem. And whenever he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. Now, Tim, I have a picture of the temple. If you could go ahead and put that up there for me. So here is a picture of what the temple looked like. The temple was, uh, so you see here, this is like the temple courts. And we have the, like the main area of the temple right here, this tall structure. And all of these walls around it surround the temple to form a big, large courtyard. Uh, so here's the temple and Jesus shows up and you look at this structure and it is a beautiful building. It's a beautiful space. And whenever he comes up to this temple, uh, he finds that it is full of a lot of things. He finds that it's full of a lot of things. He finds, he finds that there are people buying and people selling, uh, presumably oxen or presumably lambs. He's finding money exchangers. He's finding people selling doves. He's finding uh, people just walking back and forth. And it's very interesting that when Jesus gets to the temple, he starts getting, kicking everyone out. He starts kicking everyone out. So I want you to look with me and we're going to define these, what, what Jesus is doing in each circumstance. In verse number 15, it says that first of all, it says that he began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple. Them that sought, them that bought and sold in the temple. So here's what was going on with that. People were, people would travel from all over the world to come to this temple to offer sacrifices, to offer animal sacrifices to God. Now, whenever you look at the Old Testament, and I've heard some from some, some rabbis that have some knowledge of Jewish culture, and what they would do, what they were supposed to do, what, he, what Israelites were supposed to do, what the Jewish people were supposed to do, is they were supposed to get from their flocks, they were supposed to get uh, a perfect lamb, a spotless lamb, or whatever animal that they were going to use. They were supposed to give the best of what they had. They would find it, and, and they would even go through a process of over, a over the course of a couple of weeks, finding the animal that they were going to offer as a sacrifice to God. Uh, and then uh, Jewish tradition tells us that they would bring in that lamb, if they were going to offer a lamb to God each year, uh, they would bring in that lamb for a year uh, and raise it as a pet. So they would have this perfect spotless lamb. They would bring it into their home. Uh, they would raise it. They would raise it closer to them. And over the course of a year, they would really bond with that, with that lamb. 
And at the end of the year, uh, at Passover time, they would offer that lamb, their, their pet, what had become a part of their family, and they would offer it as a sacrifice to God. The whole point of scripture, whenever it came to offering sacrifices, is that it was supposed to come from the heart. It was supposed to be something that was meaningful to you. But here in our text, we find that people were not offering animals that were meaningful to them. They were just coming in. They were just riding into town. And they had taken something, they had taken a sacrifice that was supposed to be relational, and they had made it transactional. So instead of giving up what they had, they would just come into the temple and they would buy whatever they could get. And the priests had set this up so that way they would, make, uh, they would make a large profit off of every animal that they sold. And Jesus gets rid of that. He, he got rid of those that were buying and selling in the temple. Next, it tells us that they overthrew the tables of the money changers. They overthrew the tables of the money changers. Now, what this was, this was a currency exchange system. This was a currency exchange system. So my family, my, my wife and her, my wife's, my in-laws, uh, they live in Canada. So whenever I travel to Canada, uh, I will exchange my U.S. dollars for Canadian dollars. And I make sure that I do it at the right place because there are some places that they'll kind of rip you off with the exchange rate. And here's what was happening is the priests had determined that while everyone was bringing in Roman currency that had Caesar's picture on the currency and that had uh, Roman sayings on the currency, they said, hey, this isn't good for God. This isn't good enough for God. So they said, whenever you come in, you have to exchange your money for what we deem acceptable. And they would give an exchange rate and they would give a really poor exchange rate so that they would profit off of that money that they were coming to worship God with. So he overthrows the table of the money changers. And then it says that he, he overthrew the seats of them that sold doves. What this was, was people that would give doves to God as a sacrifice were those who were poor. If you couldn't afford to give something that was, that was, uh, that was something like a lamb or you couldn't give more to God, God had made provision for if you were poor to give a dove. It was something that was, it was, it was a sacrifice for those who were giving but at the same time, it, wasn't, it was something that was, that was feasible. It was something that was doable. Uh, and we see that they were selling doves. They were s- selling doves to the poor, but they were, again, ripping them off for their own profit. And then in verse number 16, it says that he would not suffer that any man should carry any vessels through the temple. He wouldn't carry any vessels, that he wouldn't allow anyone to carry any vessels through the temple. So if you could go ahead and go to the next picture, Tim. Go ahead and go to the next picture. This is a, a further out picture of, of a model of the temple and of Jerusalem. And if you notice uh, this large gated area, if you lived on the right side of the temple and you needed to travel to the other side of town, what would be the fastest way for you to get to where you needed to go? It would be to go to shortcut through the temple to get to where you needed to go. Uh, So what we see here is that Jesus, so people would carry their vessels, people would carry things all the way through the temple instead of going around, and they were doing all of this traveling, and Jesus wouldn't allow any of this to happen. So why is all of this the case? I find it really interesting. If you could go back to the last picture, Tim, if you could go back to the last picture, I want you to notice uh, the layout of this temple, and the temple was really broken down into four parts. It was broken down into four parts. And uh, there's a lot of culture here that I understand that we need to understand in order to understand what's going on in this text. But there were really four main structures. First of all, I want you to notice, notice uh, the, tall, the tall building structure there right in the middle. Uh, that building was where sacrifices were made. 
That's where the priests would go in to offer sacrifices to God. That's where the Holy of Holies was. That's where, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they would go in and they would make their sacrifices and people, the, the general public was not allowed into that area. It wasn't allowed into that, they weren't allowed into that area. Then right outside the building was an outside courtyard and that was what was closest to the temple. And that was for the, that was known as the court of men. Uh, and that's where the Israelite men could go and they could pray and they, that's where they would gather and that's where they could worship in that inner court. Then the next section is the court of women. This is where Israelite men and women could gather together uh, to pray, Israelite men and women. And then this large outer court area was known as the court of Gentiles. So Gentiles, any person that wasn't born Jewish, any person that was not an Israelite, they would come and they could, they could come and they would travel from all over the world. We see it in Acts 8. Uh, a man from Ethiopia travels to Jerusalem to worship and there would be people traveling from all over the world who wanted to seek God, who wanted to worship, who wanted to pray. And they would come to this area and this outer courtyard was where they were allowed to worship and to pray. Everything that I just described to you, this buying and selling of sacrifices, the money exchange system, the selling of doves, and all the shortcuts that were happening, all of them were happening in the court of Gentiles. All of them were happening in the court of Gentiles. Could you imagine with me for just a moment that you have gone to Jerusalem and you're saying, God, I want to seek you. God, I need to know you. God, I've got to come to Jerusalem and to pray and and to travel for hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem, to come to this place of worship and come to this place of prayer and seeking truth. And what's happening is instead of being a place for prayer, you're finding, uh, you're finding a market. You're finding, the sh- you're finding a market for selling sheep and you're finding a market for selling oxen and you're finding a, sh- you're finding a market for selling doves and you're finding the money exchange market. And then beyond that, you have people bustling through, going all through these outer courtyards. And while you have traveled to Jerusalem to pray, all that you're finding is distractions. So here's what happens in our text. Jesus goes to a tree that looks beautiful on the outside But whenever he gets up close and personal, it's barren. And then Jesus comes to the temple that looks beautiful. On the outside, it's filled with gold. It's it's a beautiful structure, especially for one that was built uh, over 2,000 years ago. And you, you come up to this structure that's beautiful and it's impressive. And you find it as a place, you're looking for a place to worship God. And then you get into the inside and it also is barren. It also is bitter. You're looking for a place where you can find some spiritual refreshment, where you can find some spiritual nutrition, where you can find uh, some spiritual health. But what you're finding is you're finding a place that is barren. You're finding a place that is bitter. You're finding a place that is just like anywhere else that you would go. That's what's happening here in our text. Jesus curses this tree, and then he comes and he, what we call, we say he cleansed the temple. He cleansed the temple. And then I want you to look with me in verse number 19. It says, And when the evening was come, he went out of the city. And in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. The disciples, they want to speak to Jesus. They talk to Jesus about this. And we're going to get next week, we're going to get into that conversation. But here's what I want you to catch. Here's what we need to catch from God's word today. And we need to understand, Jesus comes and interacts with this tree. Jesus comes and we find his interaction in the temple. And then we go back to the tree. So the tree is a parable for what's really going on with 
the nation of Israel. So you say, that's nice, Pastor David. You gave me, you gave me a history lesson. You showed me pictures of a temple that existed 2,000 years ago. What in the world does that have to do for my life today? I want to give you this morning three statements, three principles that are going to show how, this, how all of this applies to your life and to my life today. The first principle that I want you to get is this. Jesus judges sin. Jesus judges sin. You know, this passage is very difficult, and it was difficult for me as I studied it because we've looked, and what we've seen is that Jesus has, Jesus has uh, gone and he's healed people, and Jesus has demonstrated love to people, and uh, Jesus has interacted and shown kindness and compassion, and that's what he's done all the way up, uh, all throughout the Gospels. And here we get to our text today, and here's what we find an equally important truth, is that Jesus is love, but Jesus is also holy. We see that Jesus is compassionate, but Jesus also judges sin, and what is this sin that we see? We see as he judges this sin, as he goes to the tree, he goes to the tree and he's demonstrating this parable. He's demonstrating this principle for, for his disciples that here is this tree that's covering itself, that's full of leaves and it looks good. But whenever you get up close, whenever you get up close, it was barren. And by the way, that has been happening since the beginning of mankind. Whenever you, if you remember back to Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, whenever they rejected God, when they rebelled against God, what happened? They remembered that they were naked and they went and they, the Bible says that they covered themselves with leaves. And then we see here in our text today, we see this tree that is covered with leaves. It looks good. It looks like it's fruitful, but what you find is it's barren. And how many times in our lives, and here's, here's how this applies to my life. Here's how this should apply to your life, is we see that Jesus sees through all of that. Jesus deals with all of that. Jesus judges sin, and what matters is what is going on on the inside. A lot of times I know that in my life, I try to put out this covering. I try to cover myself. I try to cover my heart. I try to cover my life with leaves. I try to look good. I try to cover my sin with my, with my actions, with my performance. And, and I have a heart that is full of pride. And I have a heart that can be full of bitterness. And I have a heart that can be full of anger. And a lot of times I try to cover all of that up. How does that look? A lot of times for me, I'll, I'll, I'll try to cover, hey, you know what? My sin isn't that bad because... Well, I'm a pastor. I, I, I preach the Bible. I come to church. And, and while my heart is just as wicked and sinful as anybody else, a lot of times, if I'm, if I'm not careful, I put on this hypocritical show of, of, to everyone else, everything looks good. But my heart is full of wickedness. My heart is full of pride. My heart is full of anger. And, some, and I don't know what it may look like for you, this morning, church, I don't know what it may look like in your life, but so many times we try to cover our sin with the, with, the way that we, with the way that we present ourselves. With the way that we present ourselves, we try to cover our sin. We try, to, we try to make ourselves look good, but here's the fact of the matter is Jesus is looking at the heart. Jesus is looking at the fruit of your heart. He's looking, hey, it does, whatever the external is, whatever the exterior is, whatever show you're trying to put on, that is not what matters. What matters is, is there that fruit going on in your heart, we see that Jesus judges sin. When Jesus comes to this tree that is hypocritical, this tree that looks good on the outside, but on the inside, it's barren. He judges it. When Jesus goes to this temple, but on the outside, it looks good. But on the inside, it's full of sin. He deals with it. Jesus judges sin. The second truth that we need to understand is this. 
Jesus cleanses temples. Jesus cleanses temples. I love this, and this was so, uh, it was convicting to me because uh, whenever I read this and I see God's holiness and I see that God sees through the facade that I, that I put out there, uh, whenever, God, whenever I understand that God sees through that, I repent and I say, God, I need you to, to correct the sin in my heart. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me. But then I'm encouraged because I see that Jesus cleanses temples. I was... Uh, I was convicted whenever I saw how severely Jesus dealt with the tree, but I was encouraged whenever I look and I see how Jesus, he casts out, he gets rid of, uh, he gets rid of the buyers and sellers and Jesus uh, drives out the currency, all of the money exchangers and he casts out those who are, who are taking advantage of the poor and who are uh, selling those doves and he casts all that out and he cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple. And then in Matthew chapter 21, which is, uh, it tells the same story, it tells the same event in Matthew as we see here in Mark. The Bible tells us what happens after Jesus cleanses the temple. After Jesus cleanses the temple, the Bible says this. After he cleanses it, it says that the blind and the lame, the people who couldn't see, the people who couldn't walk, they came into the temple and they found Jesus and they found healing. They found Jesus and they found healing. And then it says that children started coming to Jesus and they started singing and praising Jesus. They started shouting Hosanna. Uh, they started shouting Hosanna. So they were shouting Hosanna. We saw it yesterday on, on Sunday when Jesus rode into Jerusalem. And now here on Monday, after Jesus cleanses the temple, then what we see is lives are being transformed and we see that God is being worshiped. Lives are being transformed and God is being worshiped. People who were coming to the temple and all they were finding was, was a marketplace. All they were finding was, was a, bunch of, a, a bunch of mess. All they were finding was a bunch of distraction. But whenever Jesus cleansed the temple, people were finding and worshiping and having their lives transformed by God. And here's why that's encouraging to me because the Bible also tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says, don't you know, what, what know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. For every person who knows Jesus Christ as their Savior, we, we have become, we are the temple of God. We are the dwelling place of God. And I'm encouraged because Jesus does judge sin, but I also notice that he is cleansing, he is transforming the temple to be a place of healing, to be a place of restoration, to be a place of worship. And here's why I'm encouraged, because while I'm a sinful person and my sin has to be judged, I'm thankful that Jesus is still working on me. Jesus is still transforming me. Jesus is cleansing me. We call that process sanctification where Jesus takes us, the Holy Spirit takes us and makes us more like the Son of God. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this temple. He's cleansing out all of the sin. He's cleansing out all of the mess so that people can find him, so that worship can happen. And people who had come looking for God before, now they are actually finding him in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus cleanses temples. And my friend, with, with whatever sin you struggle with, with whatever sin I struggle with, Jesus judges sin, but he's cleansing, he's cleansing the temple. And then the third truth, the third principle that I want you to notice this morning is this. Jesus rules with authority. Jesus rules with authority. They leave Jerusalem at the end of the day. And then in verse number 20, it says, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. 
what Jesus said whenever he encountered the tree, the next day it is so. And the disciples are shocked. The disciples are amazed at how quickly this has happened. And one day the tree went from looking healthy and fruitful to being completely rotted through because Jesus rules with authority. What Jesus says happens. Church, that encourages me today because I understand as a believer, I understand as a believer that Jesus is working on me. He's, he's living inside of me and he's, he's transforming me to be more like the person of Jesus Christ. As, as I find him, as I, as I study him, as I submit to him, as I repent, Jesus is transforming me and making me more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And what Jesus says is what happens. What Jesus says is what happens. So whenever I look at the circumstances of this life, whenever I look at what's going on in our country, whenever I look at what's happening with things that I can't control in my life, it helps me to rest. It helps me to rest, to be at peace. Because I know that Jesus is in control. Jesus is in control. So I worship him. So I follow him. So I submit to him. Because he's doing a work in our lives. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. We know that all things work together for good to them which are in Christ Jesus. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, to make us more like Jesus. So today, whenever I see Jesus' holiness, that should lead us to repentance. And whenever I see Jesus' grace and cleansing temples, I should rejoice and submit to the work that he's doing in my heart, the conviction that he's doing in my heart. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin, he's not doing it, he's not convicting you of sin, because he dislikes you. He's not convicting you of sin because he hates you. He's, not convicting, he's convicting you of sin because he's cleansing you. And he loves you and he's doing his perfect work in you. So submit, submit to that. I'd like to ask uh, Jaden if you could go ahead and stand over here to the side. Adrian, if you would go ahead and come on down. In just a moment, we're gonna have a time to respond to how God worked in our hearts. All right, let me ask you this question. Is, is there, are you putting on a show of spirituality, but on the inside, are you full? Is God working on you? Is God convicting you of a, of a particular sin that you need to repent of? Second question is this. Are you resting and trusting in the fact that God is working in your life, even whenever all of the situations around us look discouraging? Repent and trust. Repent and trust. We're gonna sing a song together. Uh, we're gonna sing a song of, of worship, and if you need to respond in prayer, you take time to respond in prayer. If you need, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you say, Pastor David, I do not know Jesus as my Savior, but I would like to know how I can receive Jesus today. Would you go whenever we, as we sing this song, would you go step over to Jaden, and Jaden would love to show you how you can know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Let's all stand together. If you need to pray, take some time to pray. If you need to talk to someone about